Hello and welcome back. Thank you for choosing to listen to the How to Life podcast today. My name is Dr. Laura Jagged, and this is episode 85. I have such a fascinating show for you today. I'm speaking with Dr. David Preston. He's an educator, a consultant, and a trailblazer in reforming education and changing the way students learn. As you know, the traditional way that we were taught in school was thrown into turmoil when the pandemic hit. The scramble to try and teach over the internet was a little chaotic at first. Yes, there was some resistance, but most everyone adapted. Teachers, students, administrators, parents, we all had to figure it out, and we had to figure it out quickly. And overall, it worked. This came as a surprise to many, but not to Dr. Preston. He has been teaching this way, using the public internet to engage and empower students to collaborate and lead the way in their own education. He calls it open source learning, and he has had years of success in teaching this way. The pandemic proved to many others that this is a viable option to traditional brick and mortar schooling, and it may very well be the model for digital transformation in education. It's such a fascinating concept to me, and honestly, it's a breath of fresh air when it comes to discussing education for the 21st century. David, how are you today? Thank you very much for joining me today on the How to Life podcast. I'm happy to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. I really appreciate being included, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, you're an educator, and you have such a fascinating approach about it, and I can't wait to talk about this with you. Before we start, will you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. Uh, well, my name is David Preston. And, you know, when people talk about education, I'm a word geek and I've been a word geek for way longer than I've been a teacher. So let's make some distinctions. Education, schooling, learning, they're totally different things. And one of the fascinating things to me about just being human is how passionately curious we are about everything. And if you've ever gone to like a kindergarten classroom, it's just a happy riot of energy. And that leads to all sorts of mistakes and humor. And my daughter would tell you that the secret ingredient of awesome is love. We get trained out of that through our formal systems of education and schooling. I went to more school than, I don't know, maybe anybody should, but K through PhD, I was in public schools and really kind of happily done with that. I was a professor at that point at UCLA. I taught at UCLA for 11 years. I ran a management consulting practice in Los Angeles. And a good friend of mine was uh, developing a nonprofit organization. Um, And this was in the wake of 9-11. So we're talking like 2003, 2004. And he wanted to take high school students off campus and teach them about the environment by having them clean up areas in Southern California and steward Uh, places like the Angeles Crest National Forest and Marina del Rey. And I think he brought me along as like uh, academic window dressing to this meeting with a principal. This was the third largest high school in the country at the time by enrollment, almost 6,000 students on a three-track year-round calendar, 12-foot concertina barbed wire, LAPD substation on campus, childcare for the students' kids. And the principal, super nice guy, happy to have the program, but looked at me and said, you know, academics don't really know what happens on campus anymore behind the chain link fence when we're not giving tours. 
And I thought about it and he was right. All of my students at UCLA, all of my consulting clients at one point or another confided in me that they actually had to recover from their formal schooling and rehabilitate that passionate curiosity just to thrive. And when you think about your podcast and all of the help and support you're offering an audience, we need that and you because we're not getting it in our K-12 education. So long story short, I gave it some thought and he was right. And then he offered me a job and the answer was, yeah. So I had some sort of like fantasy about, I was going to go in there and get the real story and bring it to the public. Turns out that the public is super traumatized and busy with their own madness. And that's especially accentuated these last couple of years with the pandemic, but everybody loves learning. So I started constructively breaking things. I had a student come in with a book and the book was The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. And I literally beckoned him over to my desk and said, where did you come from? And he had forged his parents' name on the exchange student papers and called them from the airport in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, to tell them that he was coming to California. And in 18 months, he learned English, graduated, and then invited me home for dinner. So I wound up in Mongolia, Tibet, and Western China with this young man and his family, and some bells rang that I couldn't unring because there's so much to life and it's all interdisciplinary. But I couldn't believe that in schools, we weren't incorporating digital tools. We weren't incorporating collaborative models. It's eyes on your own paper. And then you go to work and someone says, why can't you be a better team player? And so when I say I constructively started breaking things, first, I broke my own career. I called my consultants and said, well, so much for the domestic Peace Corps, I'm sticking around. And now 16, 17 years on, I've developed a series of practices and approaches that have become collectively known as open source learning, but I never really sought to brand it or commodify it. This is kind of like the sriracha of education because I really want to share it in a way that validates those people in every walk of life who need to connect with information, need to connect with each other. And that's why I'm so excited to join you here today. I'm excited to have you here also because... I agree that we need to change the way our education system is presented. Uh, we needed to change it when I was in school. Yeah, you know, this this week I wrote a blog post uh, about turning into the skid and how we instinctively recoil from those moments when we feel out of control. But in leaning back, we actually cause ourselves more harm. The reason that I call what I do open source, yeah, it was partly due to the idea that in software development, you can copy what works and tweak what you need to become unique. But it's also the idea that in thermodynamics, an open system is one that exchanges components with its environment. And that can be as simple as a third person joining our conversation. You and I would both be aware of observation, of a new relationship, of ways of speaking and being, and it would change everything. The old education system, I'm imagining what you're describing is like textbooks and tests. No, I don't think that works. And the reason is because we don't really have a way of predicting what learners are going to need in the next 20, 30 years, whether it's industries, sectors, jobs. So we can't say to people with integrity, well, Laura, I know Ms. Johnson's tough, but just kind of go along to get along because if you get your diploma, you'll have it at least as good as your parents. That social contract is destroyed. So 
In this context, we do have an opportunity, though, because everyone knows at least one teacher in school who's quiet, kind of unassuming, doesn't say much at faculty meetings, closes her door and does magic. I want to help support and validate practices that are humane, that are creative and innovative. And so open source learning is less of a prescriptive paint by numbers. Here's what you do. And it's much more of a value system that encourages people within, you know, if you have a garden, you're not telling the flowers how tall they should be or what color they should be. You're creating optimal conditions for growth. And I think that as a culture can create systems that we haven't even yet imagined. You are an open source learning teacher. Give us an example of one of your classes, how you go through it, how you present it. All good learning starts with a question. I was observing this student in the class and it wasn't a behavior problem, wasn't obnoxious, wasn't violent, wasn't doing anything, including the work. <laughs> and my learning started with a question. And I say my learning because open source learning is omnidirectional. Everyone participates in something larger than themselves. So my question was, why are you biding your time and making this look like some sort of internment camp? You and I in this conversation, Laura, have about an hour together. And at the end of that hour, we're both going to be closer to the ends of our lives. So even if you're listening to this podcast, the question becomes, what's the opportunity cost? It's massive. Every other activity with every other human in every other possible context is resolving into this choice. So we better make this valuable enough because we don't get a second bite at the apple for that hour. And that was the motivation for me to ask this young man, well, all right, what's up? And he said, straight out, points for honesty. High school is a waste of my time. I want to learn to fly an airplane. And I can't see anything here that's going to help me do that. So I'm just trying to stay out of the hospital and stay out of jail until I can get where I really want to go. And I said, that actually makes perfect sense. And back to my original point, why are we wasting any more time? Let's find you a pilot. So we actually went down the road mentally and physically. Turns out uh, through marriage and his family, uh, he knew an experienced pilot. And three months after that conversation, I terrified, was in the backseat of a Piper Tri-Pacer 3,000 feet above the campus. Now, I think we're at a point where these kinds of outcomes shouldn't be extraordinary. In my mind, if you talk about any topic, express the most basic curiosity about any subject, you're automatically in the interdisciplinarity because school is the only place we divide life subject by subject. Show me a cup of tea. You've got I don't know, off the top of my head, botany, ceramics, fluid mechanics, the history of colonialism. Why doesn't my boyfriend love me? Well, I don't know, probability, biology, poetry, we've got it all. So the real opportunity for us is connecting the dots. And whether that's between subjects and fields, between experience and conceptual abstraction, or between people. And that's really the re-motivator for me. You are still a teacher in the public school system? Yeah, I'm running a, an open source learning academy on the central coast of California. But when I say that, I'm actually doing it right here from Palm Springs via the computer. You know, a lot of people are striving for this return to normal, and I do understand that, right? It's back to nostalgia. 
It's the illusionary comfort of something that we've already experienced. The problem with that is that we can't go back home. The pandemic closed campuses temporarily, but campuses were never a safe place for things like emotional vulnerability or for the real risk that comes from intellectual curiosity. People don't even want to raise their hands and keep a class after the bell beyond the age of 10, 11 years old. So when we combine that with the fact that we are headed toward more and more adversity, the biggest problem I have with back to normal is I don't know anybody who has to ask for a bathroom pass at home. And I don't know anybody who's nostalgic for live shooter drills, which is where we were just before the pandemic. So we need to develop practices that are resilient and part of adulting, part of what people need to come to either on their own or in connection is the idea that our learning isn't a function of school. The biggest tragedy to me about school is that people get this huge sense of relief. I've graduated. I don't have to do that anymore. Oh, what's that that you don't have to do? Well, the verb we associate with school is learn. We have to uncouple learning Mm -hmm. from schooling. Yes, I get the credentialing. I get the fact that the Northeastern universities in Carnegie seat time had that model in the 1800s. But again, we can learn right now. And if you and I curate this, you're recording a podcast. I imagine that you're going to put it up on a website somewhere. There might be show notes. Somebody might blog about it. The same song that's performed out loud, is it the same song when it's on a cassette or an album or an MP3? It's just the data and the memory that's curated in such a way that it actually creates ongoing value. And now that we're in a digital context, we've got lots and lots of opportunities. Well, open source learning sounds fun. Do you find that your students agree with that? Yeah, it's a dirty little secret, but yeah, it's a hell of a lot of fun. Is there any resistance from the administration as to the way you teach your classes? <laughs> you know, <laughs> how to answer. I, I, I like Boutros. I think it was Boutros Boutros Ghali, the former general secretary of the UN, that said the only ways to approach bureaucracy is with stealth and sudden violence. Uh, I'm not a big fan of sudden violence. But stealth, you know, diplomacy, I think the last people to really understand what I was doing still are some of my closest colleagues in the schools where I've worked. First talk that I ever gave actually in public about the conceptual framework of open source learning was the Institute for the Future, which is a think tank in Palo Alto near Stanford. And, you know, when I wrote a book on open source learning called Academy of One this last year, it wasn't an educator who wrote the foreword. It was Howard Rheingold, who, for people who don't know, edited the whole Earth catalog and chronicled the beginnings of not only the internet, but also was a visionary in predicting. He coined the term virtual community. He predicted that people would be staring at their phones instead of listening to them and how this technology would shape our culture. So when you ask me, has there been resistance? Yeah, there's been confusion. There's been resistance. But I also have to give credit. I look at administrators in education as stars because, you know, cults don't do nearly as much acculturation as the slow burn over decades that a person has to go through to be an administrator in education. So I think of them as stars because whatever light and heat you experience is generally created in the galaxy far away a long time ago. Now, 
having said all of that, because it would be foolish not to acknowledge that this is a big challenge for a lot of educators. There are really wonderful pockets, really wonderful individuals. And it's important to remember that we're not just dealing with a system. We're dealing with people who populate that system. And every once in a while, it's worth a conversation. So at the beginning of the pandemic, when campuses began to close, I reached out to the superintendent where I was working because I had always done open source learning in part of an English curriculum, right? I was still defensible to all the people who wanted to talk about standards and tests and blah, blah, blah. But now the conversation was back to my consulting roots. And I basically proposed, you know, the only thing that's weirder than a teacher calling a superintendent and saying, hey, how about something different is that teacher not calling the superintendent, the superintendent finding out and saying, oh my God, you had something that we could use and you didn't say something. So we started sort of a skunk works style program and did it completely. We built the airplane as the assistant superintendent likes to say, we built the airplane in mid flight, but I started running a pilot program and doing things the way I had always done them online, but now doing them in full view of the administration in a way that I'm hoping the district will continue to build and grow. And now, because I did shift from full-time teacher to independent contractor, uh, because we do have these barriers. The district is still in a collective bargaining context. And so you have the slippery slope fallacy. Well, if I do it for you, I'll have to do it for everybody. And because we have this horrible absence of trust and teachers are not generally considered professionals, nobody thinks you can do this from home. and have the same kind of value, same kind of impact. So I'm very proud of the fact that I do work with people who have given me the opportunity to demonstrate this, but I've also been doing this for a long time. And the neat thing about the internet and learning this way, the public internet, because when I started this, every interview I gave back in the aughts ended with someone asking me if I was going to get fired for allowing students anywhere near the public internet. You know, there's porn there. There's like gambling and stuff. Well, not only did students show themselves to be worthy of the experience, and not only did they create literally millions and millions of artifacts that demonstrated the value of their own learning, but they crushed it in scholarship competitions, in college admissions, because it works the same way as it would with a venture capitalist. You know, venture capitalists don't invest in startups that could maybe be something someday if only I had your investment. They invest in startups that are proven and that can demonstrate an exponential factor if they're given rocket fuel. And when you see a learner who's already curated an interdisciplinary, creative, mediated experience online, and they can show you their portfolio, well, that's the stuff that all of our entrepreneurships are made of. You have had students who have gone through your class presumably the traditional way, at least in the early years. And now with open source learning, what have you seen the difference in their engagement in class, their excitement about their learning and the future? On a personal level, I've seen a transformation in character. There's no back row on the internet where you can slink down and disappear. And the way that pre-service teachers are trained leads us to a lot of false conclusions about life in school. We have this orderly approach to everything in theory, from lining up at the drinking fountain 
to how curriculum can be introduced and managed and reinforced and tested. And it's meaningless because, you know, I think it was Mike Tyson's manager said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Well, ask any new teacher who walks into a classroom for the first time. When I taught with a syllabus and when I taught according to a curriculum, it was boring to me. I can only enliven the actual books so much, but well, first of all, I don't need to tell you how much time the average teenager spends on devices. And the fact that it's such a foreign concept in a schooling environment just makes them lose faith that this thing is worth their time in the first place. But I also did things that empowered students from the day one. I would walk into class and I would ask them a question. Rather than me come in and tell you that I have all the right answers and here's what to do next, why don't we start from a place of curiosity? I'd like to share some stuff that I've done and ask if maybe this is appealing to you. And if you don't like open source learning, and if maybe you have a better idea, well, let's talk about that. And here's the kicker. On the first day of every class, when I had that conversation, I would also teach them about consensus-based decision-making, which is the hardest way to make a decision, to get a group of people to agree with the same level of enthusiasm. But once we had that conversation, I would tell them their only job was to make a choice collectively about how we'd like the class to run, and I'd leave the room. But that was their only job, and they could have left me there the entire semester. And I never stood outside for more than two or three minutes before someone would come and get me and say, here's what we want to do. And then I would put up a post on the course blog and ask for their comments on it. So what are we talking about? We're talking about students showing up, participating, writing about it in an English class. How many English teachers do you know who can invite or create an environment where everyone's writing on the first day from a place of integrity? So the actual tactics of open source learning, not complicated, not new. I like to listen a lot. But over the course of these experiences, what happens is really wonderful to watch. I go from being sort of the instigator to being a lead learner in a community that's bigger than all of the individuals who participate. So you are allowing the students to be part of their learning, to direct it, rather than speaking to them. They are speaking to each other and all voices are heard. Mm -hmm. I mentioned lead learner as opposed to teacher. Well, the transition from a student an obedient, passive, rule-following, intellectual veal is not going to do very well in the rodeo. So where does that shift take place? In the assertion of, here's what I'd like to learn. Here's what I'm curious about. The power to say no. So what is your prediction for open source learning in the future? The short answer to your question is, I'm actively participating in community building efforts in a variety of ways. I'm actively participating in the building and testing of the software because I'd love to put it in an open source repository so that people can have it for free. And then if they need support or coaching on the education side, that they can have access to that through, again, a community. I'm a lead learner, but I'm one of many, many people who care deeply about this stuff and who all have some basic values in common. The bigger picture, though, is open source learning relies on what I call the five fitnesses. Teaching content for content's sake at this point is ridiculous when you have 
like 120 Apollo missions worth of computing power on the phone in your pocket. So to me, it's about mental fitness. How do we learn about memory and focus and navigating our emotions in a way that is constructive in our lives? Physical fitness. The PE class never did it for me, but the idea of building our energy and our resourcefulness through exercise, nutrition, rest, balance also matters. The third fitness is civic fitness. How do we participate in society? Not just through voting and volunteering, but also marshalling our own resources. Why don't schools teach personal finance across the board or navigating the digital world? Which brings me to the fourth and fifth fitnesses, spiritual fitness. Spiritual fitness may include religion, but spiritual fitness can be looking at the night sky and feeling pretty small and thinking, all right, where do I fit into the scheme of things? And then technological fitness. How do I avail myself and leverage the tools of the age to my greatest advantage, even if that means not using the internet? Yesterday, I had my first digital free day in I don't know how long, and it was so good. Well, David, you are a wonderful teacher and a wonderful speaker, and the world needs to hear more from you. How can we find you? Well, thank you so much, Laura. Uh, I'm available to everybody who wants to have this kind of a conversation. This is what I do. I love it. If you can't tell, uh, people are free to visit me at my website, davidpreston.net. And if you'd like to skip that and send me a direct email, david at davidpreston.net. I'm also on Twitter at Preston Learning. Thank you so very much for meeting me today and speaking about this. It was a real pleasure to meet you and speak with you. And just hearing you speak about this with such passion just kind of fills me with hope and passion. And I hope it does the same for everyone who's listening. Thanks so much, Laura. And thanks for all you do for your community. Keep it up. This is definitely an intriguing concept, which after being put to the test in 2020 has proven to be a viable option. What do you think about this? Let me know. You can reach me directly at drlj at howtolife.com. I hope you found this talk informative and thought-provoking and non-threatening. I think you can agree that Dr. Preston is super cool, and he genuinely cares about empowering all his students. He is someone who really wants to help you thrive. Check out his book, Academy of One, or feel free to speak with him directly. He loves to talk about this. As a special offer, listeners of the How to Life podcast can use the code R-L-E-G-E-N-20 for a 20% discount on Academy of One at the publisher's website. Also, because schools and districts are still experiencing a great deal of confusion and stress about how to serve students and families during this pandemic time, David is offering a free webinar and consultation over the winter break. For more information about that, you can subscribe to David's newsletter or contact him directly via davidpreston.net. And lastly, David's next public speaking engagement will be at the annual conference of the Association of Teacher Educators in Chicago this upcoming February 2022. So if you are interested in attending or you want more information about that, you can find everything about David Preston in the show notes at howtolife.com slash 085. Education starts with curiosity, and I have a great interview about just that called Following the Breadcrumb Trail of Your Curiosity. That is episode 59. And I also like episode 60 about how to discover your life's path. 
And here are some more resources for you that truly take the fear out of adulting and education. Episode 43 is how to get college scholarships and grants. And I really recommend episode 51, which talks about how volunteering can help you get into college. And episode 71 is called the College Flight Plan. And here you will learn how to prepare early for college. You can find all the podcast episodes on your podcast player, or you can listen to them directly from my website, howtolife.com. The momenars that are featured on my YouTube channel, How To Life, can also be found on the website. So there are several easy ways for you to find my content. As always, thank you for spending some of your time listening to my show. I know that your time is valuable and the fact that you tune in to learn some important life skills and information is greatly appreciated. If you haven't already, I would love it if you would hit that five-star rating button on Apple or wherever you're listening, and please subscribe to this podcast. I will be back next week with my final show of 2021. So until then, take care, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week and this wonderful time of year. Be excited about it. You're doing so great and great things are in store for you. You got this.